Now, experts debate whether severely problematic gaming truly constitutes an addiction, but the World Health Organization has recognized it as such. They define gaming addiction as impaired control over gaming, which leads to a taking priority over other interests and activities. And it's easy to see why. The story that vindicates any teenager who's been told they spend too much time playing video games. A 16-year-old gamer won $3 million. $3 million. $3 million. $3 million. $3 million richer. The biggest individual prize victory in competitive gaming history. Ladies and gentlemen, your world champion. million won by a 16-year-old gamer. And now, interestingly, the average age of competitors in that tournament was 14. Now, if esports require the same amount of training as regular sports do, then these kids are likely spending hours and hours gaming every day. To unpack this further, we're joined now by EduTech consultant and founder of Be In Touch, a company that offers practical solutions and tips for parenting in the digital age, Josh Ramsey. Josh, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time out on a Sunday evening to chat to us. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've got to say, Josh, as a parent, this whole gaming thing is completely overwhelming. My child's a talented and passionate gamer, and I want to be supportive of that. And if it was cricket that he was obsessed with, I'm sure that I wouldn't have as much of a problem as I do with him spending so much time on it. But the the screen time, is it good? Is it bad? Tell us, please. Give me some guidance here. Yeah, well, I think first up, we need to differentiate the exception and the rule. So that amazing little clip that we heard a moment ago, $3 million is most definitely the exception. Uh, The reason that the prize money is so large is that because it is crowdfunded for the most part. And because you're in a global audience, the money packets are absolutely huge. There's no doubt that um, esports are exploding at the moment. And like you say, it really has to take into account, you know, what level is your child playing at? So... Yes, we can argue about screen time, and definitely screen time is something that's just a part of our lives now, and though we'd like to keep it down, at the end touch, we're really more interested in the quality of the screen time. So when it comes to games, we kind of advise our parents to make sure that your children are not into kind of mindless games. So uh, we can dig into a few gaming uh, words that parents can actually use to ask their children about the game. But it is a massive opportunity in terms of all of the esports that are available, but it does need some really disciplined and um, discerning decisions by parents and their children. Josh, what is it about gaming that makes it so dangerous? So the thing is, if we think about the developmental age that children are in from the ages of 12 to around 16, 18 you know, one of the big uh, developmental goals that children are looking for is autonomy, you know, perception of control, the ability that they are able to impact the environment. Now, the world is a very uncertain place, even more so at the moment. So if you're able to go into a 3D environment or a gaming environment where you are a king and you're very good at what you do and you know that you're going to go in and you, there's a very high chance that you're going to be one of the best and you can control how people interact with you, You can mute people you don't like. You can talk with people you do like. It gives you a sense of autonomy, and you are able to kind of build a digital asset, which is how the children think about their characters that they develop online. 
you know, just like we would take care of a house and make sure that we keep it up with its maintenance, children think of their online avatars as assets and they need to be going in and maintaining them and improving them. So really it speaks to their, their need for, for mastery and their need for autonomy. Now, I watched a TED Talk uh, today that you'd given some time ago about dopamine levels uh, when mm. uh, while children are gaming. It absolutely terrified me. <laughs> Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. So dopamine is, is something that's released in our brains in anticipation of rewards and also, also to motivate us to do things that we might uh, feel a little bit uh, resistant to doing, like risk-taking. And, and generally what happens in the adolescent age is that there is a natural reduction in the baseline level of dopamine in the child's brain. So you'll actually find that an eight-year-old gets bored less easily than a 12-year-old. And the reason for that is the 12-year-old has been pushed out into the world to take risks and develop the skills that they'll need as adults when they become independent. The issue comes, obviously, when we've got these incredible devices that are just dopamine factories. And instead of overcoming the risk to develop the skills that we'll need as adults, we can simply reach down into our pocket, grab our phone, or go online into our favorite game and get blasted with endorphin and dopamine and feel great about ourselves. But at the end of the day, we haven't actually developed the skills that we'll need, especially as young people moving into the adult age of about 18 to 20 years old. So how do we deal with that then? So short-term if there's an acute problem, you really need to be setting limits in your home. And, you know, the, the teenage developmental age is very much about boundaries. As I said, they're looking for the autonomy. So if you're able to negotiate and speak to your child openly about what is happening in your home, and actually negotiate some boundaries and help them understand that there are consequences to their actions, that would be an acute kind of let's get something in straight away, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Simple rules like no games or devices in the bedrooms at night because this is when a lot of cyberbullying happens. This is when a lot of screen uh, impact sleep habits. So really getting consoles and cell phones out of the bedroom of your children is a number one, regardless of age, but especially uh, the younger teenagers. And in terms of time limits, I mean, what's, what's the recommendation? It, two hours a day, an hour a day? Yeah, so again, here yeah, it's such a varying um, conversation here because if you look at the World Health, they're already up at around an hour and a half to two hours to two and a half hours for you know older teenagers. And, and really, I think it comes down to what is appropriate for your home and what is appropriate for your parenting style. Um, we understand that parents are under incredible pressure at the moment and screens are just a great way to, to make sure that they're safe. Mm. I think you know, well, make sure that they're occupied. I think making sure that they're safe is a deeper question that parents need to ask about, you know, what they're doing on those screens. And that ultimately points to the longer-term solution that we propose, which is really about relationships. You know, we have to understand that as our children turn, you know, 13, 14, 15, and head up into their late teens, they're needing that autonomy. But if they haven't earned the right to have privacy, they really can't be given it. You know, we need to be protecting our children's uh, safety more than we are prioritizing their privacy. So in the short term, rules are a great way and, you know, making sure that your child is under no illusion that they own their devices, that they've been loaned to them by the parent, uh, and so they come with certain limitations. When they're 18, 19 and earning their own money and they buy their own devices, well, that's a different story. The parents really need to take hold of their license to parent and understand that if they don't get 
some form of intervention in place, it's only going to get harder. Sure, that's very sobering advice. I'm going to be very honest here. I mean, this is a real struggle for me. I want to be a supportive mom. Uh, mm. I, I think we're probably a classic case where my child's lost interest in sport and other things that he used to do. It's only about the gaming now. He is yeah. talented. He's competitive. He wants to win. Yeah. And so his argument is, you know, this is my sport. This is what I want to do. It's my chosen hobby. Awesome. So let's turn the conversation around. We've, uh, you know, it's very easy to find out all the horror stories and the scare tactics that exist. And, and we know what happens when we hit our kids with that. He does, uh, they, they do exactly what your, your child is doing. So let's talk about some of the ways in which you can engage with your children around it. Now, the first one is we need to speak the gaming language. So let me give, you, give the parents out there a few questions they can ask. So they need to make sure that their child is not doing what is called grinding or farming. So in, in gaming, you you know, you get two broad kind of themes of games. The one is kind of a grinding game. Case in point would be a candy crush. It's a monotonous, uh, robotic action that is very repetitive and there's no real skill development going on versus something that is, you know, maybe like a Fortnite kind of game, which is still not one of my favorites, but it does have that kind of competitive edge. And so you can find out from your child, are you farming or grinding or are you playing competitively? And if they are playing competitively, this is where you can really help them understand the professional nature of esports. So they say to you, I'm going to be a professional gamer. And then you say, okay, well, do you know what professional means? Professional means discipline plus evidence. If you are going to be a professional golfer, the first thing I'll do is I'll go, okay, you've got some talent. Let's practice a bit more. Let's get you assessed by a professional athlete or a scout, and he'll tell me, yeah, yeah, you've got a little bit, you've got enough talent to make this work. Now you need to put in, you know, a certain amount of work. You need to go start playing in local competition. You need to, you need to start ranking in the top five to ten. And if you fall outside of that, well, don't even keep trying because you just, it's not for you. So if your child is wanting to say, I'm going to be a pro gamer, then you can say, okay, well, did you know that this is what pro gamers have to do? They have to take breaks every 45 minutes to make sure that their hands don't get arthritic by the time that they're 22. They have to balance out their nutrition. They have to think about, you know, different forms of training their brains and their eyes. They have to provide the evidence that they're actually developing. So you have to get your child to start entering different competitions. And if they're not ranking in the top five, well, you need, you need to be honest with them and say, listen, you've got six months to kind of improve this. Otherwise, we're going to have to focus on something else. So if they pull the professional card on you, you can really turn it around to them and say, okay, well, we need a training routine. We've got to look at nutrition. We've got to look at all these other ways that you can engage your child around that. And, and one of them being emotional stability. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the gamers that you'll see that are really popular on YouTube and, and on other Twitch, you know, these other kind of streaming platforms are crazy, uh, you know, um, uh, emotional. They, they have massive explosions and they say things that get them banned. And that is what is called tilting. So when a gamer tilts, they lose control of their emotions. And that is not helpful in their competitive edge. They lose it. So if your child is saying to you, I want to be a professional, really use that as an invitation to, A, learn more about their world, but also push them into this kind of really structured and and mm. an intense regime where they have to really prove to you with the evidence that they're serious about this. And, you know, the, the esports world is massive. So, you know, there's drone racing, there's robotics, there's all sorts of other, you know, STEM learning, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics opportunities for these people that are IT professionals. 
But for them to think that they can just simply not study, spend six hours to eight hours playing Fortnite every day, and somehow that's going to end up with them being in a salaried position where they're taken care of, it's just it's the exception. It's not the rule. And they need to understand that. That's excellent advice, Josh. I hope that your training program would include some running around the block or <laughs> something yeah. similar, some swimming Definitely. or something physical. I mean, you know, and I think that's where you can really engage your child's autonomy, especially at, at your child's age, you know, 12 going on 13. You can say to them, okay, listen, if this is what you want to do. Well, now prove it to me. You know, go online, find, you know, put together a presentation for me about how you're going to do this. And then he'll go into YouTube and, and he'll learn about all the ways in which the pro gamers, you know, some of them still studied to get their master's degrees. They never were primarily focused on gaming. Um, others were working in IT and they developed their gaming as a hobby. And you'll find that this is a common thread to, you know, the consistent guys, not the 16-year-old guy who wins $3 million on a, on a, on a wild card entry to, you know, uh, Dota, one of these one of these games that are available. It's the guys that put in the grind, that have the self control, that have the self regulation, that can really develop themselves into something that that has options as they get older. If you're just joining me, we're talking about gaming and gaming addiction among teenagers. I'm joined by Josh Ramsey. He's the founder of Be In Touch. Josh, if you, um, what are the signs to look out for in terms of your child being addicted yeah so you know like any you know, as soon as the gaming turns into a form of coping mechanism when it becomes a an escape a place of when there's emotional frustration then instead of dealing with their issues instead of dealing with the challenges in their lives they prefer to just escape to withdraw and so you know you're looking at it you know really isolated children you know, obviously, if it's starting to impact their posture, they sedentary. So, you know, if they are uh, obsessive or if their body is starting to show signs that it's not healthy, either the, you know, the bags under their eyes from staying up late and disrupting their sleep, which is incredibly important for their brain's development in the adolescent age. So, you know, maybe just to clarify, I'd say look at their bodies. Is there the, are there those dark rings? Are they getting that kind of hunched over shoulders? Are they losing muscle mass and they should be putting it on? Then, you know, secondly, looking at their, their kind of interactions with others, are they very reclusive in their social interactions? Do they struggle talking and communicating with other children or adults? And, and are they spending excessive amounts of time in isolation? And again, that's also relative because every family is different. But if there's a breakdown in communication and you feel like your child is lost to you, if they are hiding what they're doing in their, on their computer system, then that is an issue as well. And that's giving you a sign that you, you really need to build that relationship with your child. Um, and we really encourage parents to, to put in the effort to get across this digital divide between adults and children. And the reason for that is that, yes, today he's playing Minecraft and it's, it's a really great learning environment for him. And, and but, you know, tomorrow he might stumble across pornography or he might get into a chat room and somebody will mention something that he then searches for. And when that happens, it needs to be a habit of crossing that digital divide so that he can come back to his parents and say, Mom, this is something that happened. Or I got myself into a chat room and I don't know how I got there and I, I really I don't like what happened there and I need to talk to you about it. And those are the moments that rely on that relationship between, you know, the child and the parent. But if they are isolating themselves, you know, reach out to them, 
And, you know, you might need to put down boundaries acutely, but ultimately in the long term, you're looking for, for really opening up that relationship. Do you not think that the gaming manufacturers should accept some responsibility here? Surely they shouldn't be hooking the children to the extent that they are. Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's a rabbit hole in itself. I'm sure you've seen or you haven't the social dilemma that just came out on Netflix. And this is a real whistleblower in all the ways in which um, social media is using what what is called in the the industry persuasive technology to manipulate children. Mm. And um, there's a whole other set of tricks that they use in gaming. And and really, what's quite astounding about, you know, take, for, for example, a game like Fortnite, which is kind of the big, you know, really popular first-person shooter. So the manufacturers, they'll kind of say, well, we didn't put blood in it. You know, we're doing really well because it's not a call of duty where there's hyper-violent, hyper-realistic violence. If you look at Fortnite, I was speaking with a parent that her her child spent 7,000 rand, unknown to the parent, on skin. And so this is not something that is a a competitive advantage in the space. In the game, that it's actually just purely aesthetic. So it's the way that your character looks, and this is the sign of how enmeshed our gaming environments, our children's gaming environments, are with their society. It's no longer just a game, as we would think when we were kids and we'd go and play a game. It is their social space that they are interacting with. You look at the, the moves and the dance moves that children do. These are all dance moves they pick up in the game. If you look at the the celebrity figures that are placed into those games. For example, Aquaman uh, was, you know, front and center. Jason Momoa, the kind of lead hunk of, of Aquaman, was front and center in, in Fortnite. They had, you know, Travis, the creator, one of these big DJs, putting on online events. And so it becomes this kind of marketplace, come social space, come uh, gaming space. And so it's not just simply a game. There is so much more to the ways in which they tie very a lot of different aspects of children's development and their lives into these games. And yes, they should most definitely be accountable. Can we wait for them to be accountable? No, because your child needs to get on top of this in the next three weeks. Uh, because if they don't, it, it's going to just be harder as the time goes on. But yes, you know, ultimately, we would love to see more regulation around the, the, the games themselves. But we have to understand as well is that very often the games themselves are setting their age limits. Um, And the younger that they can get their users in, the the longer they've got a a connection to them and and the the better they can make their product to to hold them in that space. Mm. It's just mind-blowing. You know, I witnessed when my my son has playdates now, the friend will come over and bring his own device or box and the two of them will sit side by side playing a game which they could be playing separately because they're playing online. I don't, you know, it's just so different to, to the way that that we grew up and the way that we socialized. Is this is this impacting their sort of social skills? Well, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be an impact because if, um, you know, if, if both of them are spending time with each other but focused on something, and you know, that both of them are watching, they're not actually spending that time together and developing the kind of, you know, the, the more sensitive uh, socio-emotional interaction, you know, the cues between how is what I'm saying impacting you and how is what I'm saying impact me. You can, you can imagine that we're both playing on something online and your character does something to me and, and I look at the screen and I go, oh, you stupid hell, and I get all mad and stuff. And maybe my friend turns to look at me, looks at me like, oh, wow, that was pretty intense. But I don't even see it because I'm just so engaged with the game in front of me. 
And so I wouldn't realize that actually when I have an outburst like that or when I shout and scream, it has this kind of impact on, on the people around me. So it will have an effect on the way that, that we that we that they learn about how they, they can interact and socialize. But we mustn't also take it out of context because, you know, the world is a very different place for, for them as it was for us. Um, that's why, you know, when we talk about parents, you know, letting their children have a play date at someone else's house, we talk about a digital village, you know. Mm. Are all of the parents in your digital village on the same page when it comes to the, the ways in which children should interact with devices, you know. And it's such a it's such a, a, a sensitive place for parents to actually speak to other parents and say, listen, what are your rules on screen time? What are your rules on the kind of games that they can play? Because as you say, you can have all the rules that you want, but then a friend comes around and brings their content and, and all of a sudden your child is playing games that you set at an age limit. So it really, at the end of the day, just needs to be opened up and, and realize that we're all in it together and there needs to be a lot less taboo around speaking up for what we think is important for our children and actually taking a position on the values we want in our families. In 2020, it's estimated that there are over 2.7 billion gamers worldwide. Josh, that's a staggering figure. How widespread is this in South Africa? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's massive. And uh, I think some of the statistics that are coming out that the average age of the, uh, the average, average age of a gamer is around 33. So it's not only the young ones that are really interested. The gaming has really taken off across the globe. And, you know, South Africa is, is I would not imagine, too, very, too different from the other places that have better statistics. In fact, uh, in fact, I was just speaking with um, uh, the man who started the recent, uh, he started a, a, I think it's the African Electronic Sports League, uh, and he was talking about how explosive it is getting in in this in, the, in our own country. So gaming is not going anywhere, and you know, it it's like it's like any new revolutionary thing. It really it has a, a time when it comes in and it's misunderstood or not fully understood, and it does get abused. But I really think the potential for esports to be looked at as something that is more than just gaming. As I said before, there's brain ro- uh, drone racing, there's robotics. And there's all sorts of things that require incredible skill sets to master. Um, and so we don't, I, I don't want parents out there to, to get lost in this kind of, okay, I need to shut it down, I need to destroy these um, devices that are out there. It really is an opportunity to do all of the normal parenting that would normally take place with your child wanting to go out and go skateboarding, but you've now got this even more attractive reward of association with your child. Now, Josh, you mentioned that it's not just gaming. There's a lot more to the digital space. And I know that you do provide um, support and guidance for parents in all areas. Uh, if parents want to get in touch with you or they'd like to learn more, how do they go about doing that? So our website is beintouch.org.za. So that's B-E-I-N-T-O-U-C-H.org.za. And we're also very active on Facebook. And you can simply head on to there and have a look. We do run our Digital Village uh, video meet, which means the parents can get together and book a time slot to where there's opportunity for discussion and you know getting all of this information in one sitting. And then we have a bunch of resources on our website as well. So if you go to the resources tab on our website, you've got, and the number one thing that we really point our our families too is called the Digital Family Alliance. And really this is just a structured 
a bi-monthly or weekly conversation where your parents and children come together and talk about what is important to each other and what agreements they need in place to make sure that everyone gets what they need. Uh, and this is just a wonderful opportunity to invite the conversation in on a repetitive, habitual basis so that we can really set our children up with habits for life. And, and that's really the opportunity in terms of starting to help our children understand the impact of digital discipline, of healthy digital habits. So I would say best way is to head over to our website or find us on Facebook, or you can even send me an email directly, josh at beintouch.org.za. I'll be happy to, to look at working. We also work one-on-one -on -one with families in terms of coaching families. Um, but at the moment, the, the webinars are probably, probably be one of the easiest ways to get that information in. I think it's so important what you're doing, Josh, because just from a point of view of parental support, you know, it's easy to take it very personally and feel like a failure when you find mm -hmm. the situation happening in your own home and you always, you know, you didn't expect it to happen to, to you. <laughs> so yeah. I think the fact that, that you are doing this and that you, uh, you're affording parents the opportunity to connect with others who are going through the same thing is, is really fantastic. Yeah, it, you know, it's been a very exciting place to be in. And um, I've been in this space for about two or three years now. And to see the explosion of, of uh, you know, operators within the space has been so amazing. I mean, just in the last three months, we've probably seen three or four new companies starting up and, and starting to bring their, their, their passion into the space to educate. And that's just absolutely wonderful to see so many people bringing in new ways of dealing with it. Uh, we're actually very excited about uh, a new partnership that we are in, and, and we're actually using Minecraft as a teaching tool. So we're looking at, you know, instead of just, as we said before, turning off screen time, because that's just an impossibility, how do we create alternatives for children to have positive screen time experiences whilst developing skills and having fun? And we're soon going to be launching a, a new brand in the South African space. Uh, it's not quite ready, but as soon as, as it is, I'll, I'll send you guys some information about it and pass it on to, to your listeners. Basically, using Minecraft to teach 21st century skills. Fantastic. Thanks, Josh. Do stay in touch. That was Josh Ramsey, founder of Be In Touch, just giving parents some advice on what to do with your child that's spending too many hours gaming.